I want to go ahead and get something out of the way at the beginning of this series, uh, just so nobody can accuse me of preaching under false pretenses or misrepresentation or posturing or hypocrisy or anything like that. Um, I'm not qualified to teach what I'm going to teach for the next six weeks. <laughs> so I am, uh, we're going, we're, the series is called A Commandment Ignored, Finding Rest in a Busy World, and we're going to be talking about the biblical practices of silence, solitude, um, rest, slowing down, simplifying, remembering the Sabbath. Uh, I don't do good at any of those things. Uh, I've always got to have noise in my life in some way. I don't like being by myself. I stay way too busy, say west, yes to way too many uh, commitments. Uh, I'm overscheduled, overcommitted, uh, sit on way too many you know, volunteer boards and volunteer for way too many things. And when I sit in meetings and they talk about what needs to be done, I sit there and think, well, I could do that. I got the time, even though I don't have the time. Um, I'm not qualified to teach this series. This is like, you know, asking Bobby Knight to teach a course on anger management, okay? Or Kanye, a course on humility, just to get both generations in the mix there. So I'm not, like, this is weird for me to talk about this uh, because I'm not ready to talk about this. And this series has actually been on the preaching schedule for more than 10 years, longer than any other series. I keep a running list of ideas, like things that would be good series I looked back, it's literally been on the idea list for 10 years, and I think I just kept waiting, you know, I might need a series on procrastination next, but I think I kept waiting thinking, let me get my handle, if I could get my arms around this issue, then I'd be ready to teach people on this issue, and I never got my arms around this issue, but it is time to teach about this issue, so I'm talking as much to myself as I'm talking to anybody else in the room or online. Uh, you can think... Uh, Matt Anderson for the series because he was here. He grew up here at this church, Gary Lanita Anderson's son, and uh, he just happened to be here back in February. I did a message on rest. I think I gave a similar disclaimer. And after it was over, he came up and said, Hey, have you read uh, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry? And I was like, No, I haven't, haven't seen that one. And he said, Well, you really ought to check it out. And I said, Okay, yeah, that sounds good. And uh, two days later, it showed up in my mailbox. I think Matt bought it for me. I haven't verified it. But two days later, after he recommended the book to me, it just miraculously showed up in my mailbox. And the subtitle was How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. So it was exactly what I needed to read. And um, I, so I know some of you are reading it because I recommended it a couple of weeks ago. If you are reading it, you're going to recognize a lot of what you'll hear in this series because I'm using it kind of some primary source material. But I always encourage you to take whatever I'm using for the series, read it. And because you may get something different out of it than I get out of it. But I am going to be using his as, as some of my source material here. And he, he ends the introduction by, by saying that this study is for any of us who are worn out and weary, tired of life as we know it, have a sneaking suspicion that there might be a better way to be human, have a sneaking suspicion that we might be missing the whole point of life, that the metrics for success our culture handed us might be skewed, that the, quote, success might turn out to look a lot like failure, and above all, if our time has come and we're ready to go on a counterintuitive and very countercultural journey to explore our soul and the reality of kingdom, then this study might be for you. 
the, the text that I'll be using throughout the study is something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. And you, most of you are familiar uh, with this text. But it's an invitation that Jesus issued to his disciples to say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As I thought about this text, and I'll probably reference this multiple times throughout the series, but as I thought about this text this week, I realized that that's an invitation, not a command. And so I mistitled the whole series, but it was too late to ask Scott to change the graphic. But, I mean, it should be an invitation ignored, not a commandment ignored, because Jesus is not going to make us rest. Jesus is not going to make us slow down. Jesus rarely makes us do anything. Jesus is inviting us to rest. This is an invitation that he's making, that if you're weary, if you're burdened, come to me and I will give you rest and come and learn from me and take my yoke upon you. So Jesus is issuing an invitation. This is not a demand upon our lives. This is an invitation that we're being offered. When I titled it A Commandment Ignored, I was thinking more of the Old Testament version, which is not an invitation, but it is a command. It's actually the fourth command. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so when I thought about the series, I was thinking, you know, everybody knows the Ten Commandments, right? And everybody believes the Ten Commandments are important. And everybody follows the Ten Commandments, right? We, we believe that we should follow all the Ten Commandments. Nobody would say, well, nine out of ten is not bad. Everybody would say, you should follow the Ten Commandments. Except this commandment, we conveniently ignore. And I'm not talking about the practice of the, the, the law of Moses, practice of the Sabbath. I'm talking about the principle of rest. This commandment to rest is right up there with don't murder and don't steal and don't commit adultery. And so, you know, it's a commandment to rest and we conveniently ignore it. And I like the fact that Jesus turns it into an invitation rather than a commandment because if you study What happened with the Sabbath, the religious community took what was intended to be a blessing to God's people, a commandment to rest. This is intended to bless God's people and to help God's people. They turned it into a burden because they turned it into a legalistic obligation. It became another legalistic obligation they had to check off because there was, remember the Sabbath that keepeth holy. Well, that was one rule, but we have to add rules on top of rules to make sure we don't violate that rule. And so there was debates about how far could you walk in a day before it's considered work and you're now violating the Sabbath? Or how much grain could you pick in a day before, you know, it's considered work and you're now violating the Sabbath? So they took what God intended to be a blessing and turned it into a burden. And Jesus kind of flips that around and he says, I'm inviting you. To rest, And that's the invitation that we're going to be uh, spending our time with in this series. It's, it's a, it is a countercultural and counterintuitive. You know, it makes sense. When you understand the history of what happened with the fourth commandment, this invitation of Jesus at the end where he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's co- directly comparing and contrasting his way with the way of the religious leaders. Like, this is not a legalistic thing I'm asking you to do. This is something that's going to be a blessing in your life. And so that's where we're going uh, in this study, and it is still countercultural. Just as it was in Jesus' day, it is still countercultural. Uh, ten years ago, the way this series ended up on my preaching list was something that actually Brene Brown wrote. And so ten years ago, she wrote about uh, wearing exhaustion as a status symbol. So that when, when we say to each other, you know, how you doing? How you doing? The answer is, oh, I'm good. Just busy, but I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm just busy. 
You know, we, like, in the last 10 years or maybe the last 20 years, we, people have always said when you ask how we're doing, we always say I'm good or I'm fine. But in the last couple of decades, we've started to add the word busy to that. As if busy and good are synonymous with one another. And they're not synonymous with one another. And Scott asked in the communion meditation, like, where do we go? What do we do when we're trying to numb? Busyness is one of the most universal numbing strategies we have. Brene talks about it as being, quote, crazy busy. And here's what she says. She says, it's great armor. It's a great way of numbing. What a lot of us do is that we stay so busy and so out in front of our life that the truth of how we're feeling and what we really need can't catch up with us. And I see it when I interview a lot of people and talk about vacation and they talk about how they're wound up and they're checking emails and they're sitting on the beach with their laptops and their fear is, if I really stopped and let myself relax, I would crater. Because the truth is, I'm exhausted, I'm disconnected from my partner, I don't feel super connected to my kids right now. It's like those moving walkways at the airport. You've got to really pay attention when you get off of them because it's disoriented. When the sidewalk stops moving and you just... it. it It takes you a little while to adjust because when you're standing still, you become very acutely aware of how you feel and what's going on in your surrounding. And a lot of our lives are getting away from us while we're on that walkway. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's a lot of truth in that. Because busyness and sin accomplish the same things in our life. Sin separates us from God. When we sin, we get disconnected from God. Sin separates us in our relationships with other people. And and Tin Boom is saying busyness accomplishes the same thing. Because when we're busy, we get disconnected from God. When we're busy, we get disconnected from um, the relationships with other people. We even get disconnected from our very soul. And we sit around and wonder and lament like, why do I struggle? Why do I feel so you know, spiritually shallow? Or why, do I, why are my relationships struggling? Like, why can't I, why do, why do I feel so out of place and so disconnected? And it's because we're too busy. As one therapist put, I put this in the email this week, we're too busy for emotional health. We're just simply too busy for that. We're too busy to invest in the relationships that mean the most in our lives. We just got, we got too much going on to invest in that. We're too busy to to invest in spiritual depth because we just got, we got too much going on for that. And it hasn't always been that way. And this is what is interesting to me. I want to I go down in just a little bit of a rabbit hole here because Comer does this in the book, and it was one of the most fascinating chapters to me, just called A History of Speed. Like we think that however we're living, we, we tend to make this assumption with everything culturally. We think that whatever we're experiencing now in culture is the way that it's always been in culture. And we know that's not true, but we tend to think that. We just say, you know, like when we talk about busyness, everybody says, yeah, but what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do about it, right? Unless you're wanting us to become Amish, there's nothing we can do about it. And I, that's not the poor purpose of this series that's not what I'm talking about here but it's like we, we feel trapped and helpless like yeah we're busy yeah I'm exhausted yeah I'm overwhelmed but there's not really anything I can do about it it's just the culture we live in and he kind of goes through this history to say it wasn't always that way and it's it's interesting to me to go back he said he goes all the way back to 200 BC which if you think about it is not that long ago in the grand scheme of things in, in the scope of human history couple thousand years 200 BC people started complaining in 200 BC about a new technology 
that had been introduced that was starting to ruin their day. Because it was taking the day and splitting it up into smaller portions of time called hours. It was this technology right here. That's a sundial. That's what people were complaining about. Because you think about that before we had a sundial, our lives, time was governed by days, not hours. I mean, it was, you got up when the sun got up, and when the sun went down, uh, you went to bed. And, and in the summer, the days were longer and probably busier because it was, you could do more during the day, but then in the winter, things got slower and uh, shorter. But the sundial changes because now we can start trying to break it down into smaller units of time. And then in 996 A.D., there was a guy who would eventually become Pope who invented this. Recognize that? That's the, one of the first mechanical clocks. And monks were some of the early clock builders because they called the monastery to prayer at certain times throughout the day. And they decided it would be easier to call the monastery to prayer if we had a more mechanical way of letting us know when it was the right time to pray. Not depend upon the sun. It might be cloudy one day. We need a mechanical clock to let us know when the proper time to pray is. So then our days got broke not just into smaller segments called hours, but we could actually break them into smaller segments called minutes. And then we could break them into seconds and even milliseconds today. And then in 1370... And I don't know if this is the one or not, because I just put it all on Scott this week and said, find me a picture of a clock tower. But in 1370, the first public clock tower was erected in Germany. So now everybody can know what the time is. Not just the monks. Well, you had to live in town. But everybody could know what the time is. Not just the monks. Not just those who were wealthy enough to, to buy one of those or to build one of those. But everybody could know what the time is. And think about how since 1370, which again, not that long ago, think about how much time has come to dominate our lives since then. We do not govern our lives by the day. We do not govern our lives by the season. We govern our lives by what that says right there. I mean, if you, I lost this uh, about three or four weeks ago. I left it at game time. I was working out, and I left it on the turf, and it disappeared. And uh, so I had to buy me a new watch. But I went for four days without a watch. Do you know how many times I looked at an empty wrist in four days? It had to be thousands of times I looked at an empty wrist. Before I got up this, uh, to preach this morning, I synchronized this clock with that clock back there and the clock on the computer because I've got a clock back there that tells me when I'm supposed to stop preaching. And there's at least four or five clocks on the, that those guys are looking to right there. We're carrying around clocks in our pockets on our phones. We've got them on our computer screens. When we get in our car, it's telling us what time it is. We don't need the bank sign to tell us what time it is anymore. We got, they're everywhere. And think of how that dominates what we do. Think about how that changes our schedule. Here's what one historian said. Let me find it. And this is deep right here. He, talking about the invention of the mechanical clock or the invention of artificial time. Here was man's declaration of independence from the sun. New proof of his mastery over himself and his surroundings. Only later would it be revealed that he had accomplished this mastery by putting himself under the dominion of a machine with imperious demands all its own. That, I mean, that's, that's pretty deep. You've got to think about that one a little bit. So then clocks we had 
But then a lot of other inventions followed. In 1879, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. In 1883, American railroads synchronized our clocks. We can't have everybody on different time if we're going to run a railroad schedule. We've got to have everybody on the same time and actually created time zones. Those have only been around since 1883. In 1886, Carl Bentz invented the first automobile. And in 1902, Willis Carrier, thank God for him, invented conditioned air. And so now our busyness is complete. We are completely free to be busy regardless of time, darkness, distance, and temperature. But then in 2007, something happened that literally shifted the entire world. That shifted all of our society. And I think, you know, you probably 100, 200 years from now will look back at all these great inventions that took place in the, in the 20th and 21st century and say this invention had more of an impact on society than anything Edison invented, than anything Carrier invented, than anything Benz invented. And you know what I'm talking about, right? In 2007, that guy right there introduced us to the iPhone, the smartphone. The very first smartphone. And I remember where I was sitting when I saw the very first smartphone. It was in this church parking lot in that pavilion. And one of the members of our small group had it. And we were just kind of all huddled around and all like, wow, you, you touch it with your finger? Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was like totally, totally changed the game. In 2007, that was the first year of Twitter. And that was also the first year of Facebook. So social media and smartphone, we can access anything. We got maps on there, we got weather on there. There's, there's thousands and hundreds of different apps. And this is intended to make our lives better. I mean, this is intended to help. I mean, think how much this is going to help to be able to carry around a computer in your pocket. I mean, these are going to be so beneficial for us. These are going to save us so much time. Think of how much time that smartphone is going to save us. Because we don't have to, like, call somebody and ask for directions. And that's, incidentally, that's how you can tell people's age, you know, when, when you ask for directions and people actually give you directions instead of an address. That's it. You know you're dealing with somebody, you know, pre-smartphone when they say, well, now you go down to the second house on the left and you turn right there and then there's a big oak tree, you know, like, young people are just like, just give me the direction. I'm going to put it in my phone. Just give me the direction. Um, but... You know, they, this was supposed to just make it so much easier. Think of how much time having a device like that was going to save us. In 2016, they did a survey and said the average person, and this is what Comer quotes in the book, the average person spends about three hours a day on their smartphone. Which I thought that sounded kind of low. And so I looked it up on my smartphone, I looked it up, uh, and in 2001, they did a survey and said the average person spends about five to six hours a day on their smartphone. And I know if you're like me, you're like, yeah, but I use it for work. This is work. No, the, the survey said spends about an average of five to six hours a day outside of work activities, just scrolling. I mean, just, just looking through social media feeds, just looking at the Internet, reading Apple News, whatever it is that we do, just spending time on there. And it's consuming so much of our time. Tristan Harris, you remember the documentary, The Social Dilemma? I preached on it a year or so ago. Uh, he founded the, the Center for Humane Technology, and he said, and he was a former Google uh, software engineer, that said phones are designed in the same way as uh, slot machines. 
like they're, divine, they're designed to keep us scrolling. So everything within them is designed to keep us scrolling because they want to keep us scrolling for as long as possible. If you ever walk by a casino and seen people sitting at the, the slot machines and, you know, their eyes are glazed and they just keep pulling the handle or, I guess, pushing the button now. And, like, you, they just sit there for hours and it consumes all this time, just a quarter at a time, but it consumes all this time. He says, that's the way we devised uh, these phones. That's the way we devise these apps is to consume as much time as possible. And there's some, I won't go into all the details as to why they're trying to consume all the time because it has to do with their, their business model. But uh, the president of Facebook, the first president of Facebook, said it this way, every application, in the early days of Facebook, every application that we created, we asked this question, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And they got billions and billions of dollars to put behind it. Now, I'm not blaming Facebook, and I'm not blaming social media, and I'm not blaming smartphones. They issued an invitation to us, and we accepted They don't make us buy the devices. And once we buy the devices, they don't make us stay on them. They just issued an invitation and said, you're welcome to scroll. And we accept it. And we spend hours and hours and hours a day on it. And the irony of it is, when we get invited into real relationship and real community, we say, I would love to, but I just don't have the time. I just don't, I don't have any time. I don't know what, I just, uh, the whole day is taken. I just don't have the time. The question that we're going to ask in this series is which invitation are we willing to accept? And like I said, this is not going to be, I know some of you are sitting here like, I'm not coming back the rest of this series because he's going to ask us to put our phones up and like go on fast from social media and all that kind of stuff. I may ask you to do a social media fast. Definitely may ask you to do that. And I'm a little scared of that myself. But this is not like, you know, we're going to go back, we're going to roll the clock back 2,000 years and, and, you know, and live as monks before they invented mechanical clocks. Now, that's, not, that's not what the series is about. It's just a question of, and we have to ask this question as Christians. This is, Jesus is inviting us on a counterintuitive and countercultural journey with him. Jesus' way is saying, is there a better way to be human? Is there a better way to be Christian? Is there a better way to do relationships than the way our culture is doing the relationships? Is there a better way to practice spirituality than the way our culture practices spirituality? And so we have to answer, answer the question, which invitation are we going to follow? Who, who determines how we spend our time? Who determines our, our schedules? Who determines uh, how busy we are? Is it the invitation of Jesus or the invitation of Zuckerberg or Jobs or any of these other folks that TikTok's probably even worse than any of them? Um, as far as it's totally designed to consume time. And so the rest of the apps are trying to be more like them. So Instagram was more about, hey, let me see what my friends, what kind of pictures my friends post and see what my friends are up to. But now my feed is more about seeing what strangers are up to making weird videos. Because they're trying to become more like TikTok. I could spend way too much time on this, so I'm going to stop. Here's, here's the, I want to share this with you. See, I got way too many notes. Okay, look at this. This was uh, Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston University uh, School. Charleston Southern. 
It was a school of business, and he did a survey with 20,000 Christians and identified busyness as a major distraction from spiritual life. Shocking. Busyness, a major distraction. But here's his hypothesis, and listen carefully to this hypothesis. He says, it may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians become even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. I want to I reread that because it, it, it's 20,000 Christians and every one of them identified busyness is a, is a major distraction to spiritual life. And he said it may be that, A, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness hurry and overload. I can see that. Which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives. I can see that. Which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God. I can see that because if God is more marginalized in my life, it's going to deteriorate my relationship with him. Which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live because God's not dictating what I do with my life and where I go with my life, but other things are dictating that, which leads to five, even more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. So, where we're going in this series is, I'm going to go all the way back to where we started. Where we're going is, which invitation are we willing to accept? And how do we break the cycle? And I think Jesus knows how to break the cycle. I said, you know, I wanted to wait and teach this series until I knew what I was going to be talking about. And I still don't know what I'm talking about. I think there's really only one person that knows what he's talking about when it comes to this. And his teachings have been recorded for us in a book. (laughs) Four books, to be exact. And we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about how to govern our lives. And we'll probably look at some of what Paul has to say and Peter has to say and James and John have to say as well. And is there a better way to live? Is there a way that reduces the danger of hurry and helps us to reconnect to what really, really matters in our lives? At the end of the day, family's more important to us. Our faith is more important to us. Our relationship with friends is more important to us than scrolling. So how do we break the scrolling habit and reconnect with each other and reconnect with our God? I hope you'll participate in the journey with us. I hope you'll be back and, uh, and go through this journey with us. I hope you'll participate in a small group. Tim mentioned them. Most of our small groups will be doing this study. Uh, and by doing this study, I mean they'll be talking about what I talk about on Sunday. So most of our groups, there's a discussion guide that Tim created, and they'll sit and talk, you know, what did you think about what was said this Sunday, and how do we do this, and how do we break this cycle? And, you know, okay, that was interesting what he said, but in real life, I've got young kids, I've got teenagers in real life. How do we break this cycle? You know, how does this work in real life? And so I hope you'll participate in our groups as they do that. Uh, The other thing that I hope you'll do today is something that happened unintentionally last week. And last week we had the ministry fair, and I invited you to stay around. Like, don't leave. You got time. Don't leave. Stay around and sign up for a ministry. 
And a lot of people did that, but what we loved about last Sunday was everybody stayed around and talked for a good 30 minutes. Like, we had to run you out of here when it was time for, and the 11 o'clock's never on time, so trust me, you've got time, okay? They're not going to be on time. At 11 o'clock, this room will be nearly empty. Uh, They all come in about 10 after. So um, don't, if you're in the 11, I don't normally talk about you to this service. So, um, but you've got time to hang around and talk. And so I encourage you to hang around and talk because that's a a cool moment of community that happens with church. So if you would stand with me, I'm going to, I'm going to close with a prayer. And then I hope you'll hang around and talk. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, um, the teachings we have from your word. Thank you for the teachings we have of your son. And I thank you for the invitation that he has offered us. And I pray that you would give us the courage um, to accept it. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.